Hello, everyone. Welcome to 50% with Marcel Combs. This month, we bring to you a series focused on women in leadership with their personal journey with breast cancer. Please listen and learn from Marcel and her guests with their very own stories and the path they choose to wellness. And now just a word from our sponsor. And now back to our show. Okay. Are we recording this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Oh, did you get all that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, what do we get? Uh, you don't have to do anything except oh. to start. Oh, you're going to cut it out. <laughs> Hello, Dianta. Hello, Marcel. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, what a heartbreaking story mm-hmm. in so many ways. Felicia Labounty, who we're about to hear. So young. Um, just misdiagnosed or or received really poor treatment. Mm-hmm. I, I'm embarrassed for the healthcare system that we've worked oh, in all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, it's, you know, it was having to learn to fight for her own health care. And mm-hmm. first she started out as being uninsured and then moves through such a difficult time in a difficult system. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when they're young, they don't think they need insurance. Exactly. You know, it's it's like you say, herself for the what ifs, you you need to have that. She, she didn't qualify. She didn't think she needed it. Yeah. Uh, and she was, you know, going through health care system right. that was free for her, but Oh. somehow overlooked so much and missed such yeah. a huge diagnosis. And such a, even even with that, the miscommunication toward yes. her, mm-hmm. how she found out, it's just heartbreaking to me. Uh, but, but what she's doing now is really speaking out. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud of the fact that she is, through the pain, taking the time to try to help other people do their own journey. And and I think if there's anything to be said through all this, it's it's our own body and our own health. Yes. And we mm-hmm. get to decide how we approach that. And we should not be critical of others for the choices that they make. And that's uh, hard. It is I hard. I mean, it's hard. It, it is, Marcel. It's such a personal journey. And right. uh, hers is, like you said, uh, a hard story, but she is making it a positive right. thing for those right. that need to hear it. So, uh, I'm just applaud her for that. She's a uh, amazing little gal. So let's let's go. Okay. Let's go and listen to this amazing young woman. Let's do it. Welcome, Felicia. We're so glad to have you with Fifty uh, Percent with Marcel Combs. And so we're we're you know just highlighting Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. And so I, I know you are a woman who has been in a leadership position and you have done lots of things. I won't spoil any of that because <laughs> I, want, I want you to tell us your story. So to tell us a little bit about yourself and just the journey that you've been on with breast cancer. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have another platform to be able to share my story and hopefully touch the lives of other fighters and survivors and in hopes that they don't feel alone. And also if this comes across to anyone that it's not a fighter or survivor to help educate them on 
on what they can do to help, you know, prevent them from being in, in our position or, you know, anyone they know, spread it to your friends and family and you never know whose life you might change. And so I'm just really thankful for you guys for choosing me. So thank you. Um, so my name's Felicia Labanti. I live in Orange County, California. I'm 35 years young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually misdiagnosed um, right after my 30th birthday. The lines are a little blurry. So sometimes I say 29, sometimes I say 30, just because, as you know, in the beginning of stages of diagnosis, it's a massive blur. Right. Um, sure. Yeah, like you're just through all of the media that I've been so fortunate to get this year. It's I've been noticing my timeline is a little off, but I'm like, you know, I wasn't worried about writing down dates. I was just trying to get through each and every appointment and, you know, beat this thing. Um, So I was in the movies with my boyfriend and I had a sports bra on. And as we all know, sometimes sports bras can be a little uncomfortable at the bottom. So I kind of stuck my hand down my shirt and lifted up my left breast to move it and fix my sports bra. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I felt a little lump. Um, I'm a busty gal but I've never had any sort of cystic lumps or anything like that in my breast. They're a little dense, but nothing that felt like this. Right. And so in the movie, I was just, I kept feeling it. Like, is is that, am I really feeling something? Mm -hmm. And when we got home, my boyfriend and I had been dating for about four and a half years at that time. And I said, hey, can you feel this? We got home and he was like, yeah, that doesn't feel like your normal breast or like the rest of your breast. Like that's kind of weird. And his mom is a nurse and also a stage one survivor. So I called her and she's like, yeah, just go get it checked out. And I was like, yeah, I think so too. And at the time I was working at a family medicine um, clinic as administration and I was per diem with them. So I did not get insurance through my job. I did not qualify for state assisted insurance because I made too much money, but I didn't make enough money to pay for Obamacare or private insurance. Right. So I was kind of just in this pocket of, I don't take medications. I've never, I hardly ever get sick. I, I don't even take birth control. Like I'm very holistic when it comes to my body that way. Um, so I just didn't have insurance. I never needed it. And they were like, okay, well, let's send you to the free clinics in Long Beach, California. You know, this is for people like you. Um, they felt the lump as well and, you know, said, yeah, it doesn't feel too concerning. It's not massive or, you know, hard as a rock, but it definitely doesn't feel like the rest of your breast. So I went to the free clinic, they did an ultrasound and a physical examination. Um, and two days later, maybe not two days later, about a week later, we got the results and it said it was just a benign gunky cyst, nothing to worry about. My blood work came back perfectly normal, nothing to be concerned about, but I just wasn't satisfied. So I asked the program for a mammogram, which they submitted to whoever they submit to for authorization. And they were, I was denied, um, on the paperwork said because of age and no family history. And I just, yeah, I was like, that's not okay. Like, this is not normal for me. I'm, I'm 30 years old at this point. If I was going to have cystic breast, I feel like it would already have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked him again, I said, can I please get a mammogram? And again, they denied it. They said, she doesn't meet the requirements. Um, I wasn't a person to them. I was, uh, I was letters on a, a piece of paper that told them if I was going to qualify or not. And I didn't. Right. Um, right. They all assured me that I was okay, that, you know, I was the most fit I'd ever been. I was internationally traveling for modeling, riding motorcycle, crossfitting, hiking, 
super active lifestyle. Um, blood work was perfectly normal. White blood cell count was great. Nothing to worry about. So I said, okay, like, you know, they, at that time I had never seen anybody in my position or even close to it. And I still had it until diagnosis. And although I, I would never want to wish this on my worst enemy, um, had I seen someone advocating for young women the way that I am trying to, I would have fought harder for testing. I would have paid cash. I would have put it on someone's credit card or, you know, I would have found a way. Right. But I, I believed them and I'd never seen anyone personally that had any sort of breast cancer at my age. I felt great. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I tried, I, I felt something, I said something and I, I was seen like you're supposed to. Right. Um, so I just went on with life. They said, come back if it gets bigger and we'll aspirate it or remove it. You know, if it's aesthetically bothering you. And I said, okay. So six to eight months later, I had noticed it had grown quite large and I was having issues. Now that I look back at it, like I was kind of, I fainted at work one time and I just figured I wasn't eating enough or I just had too much coffee. Like I didn't connect the dots. Um, And so I went back and I was like, you know, in some of my modeling dresses, like it's starting to become a little noticeable because it's very forward facing in the lower part of my left breast. And I don't really want my boyfriend touching it and I don't want to touch it. Like I, you know, I just want to clean again. And they said, okay, no problem. So I went back to the same clinic. Um, They did an ultrasound and I went back to work and they called me within an hour and said I needed to go to a different facility for more testing. And kind of had a a sinking feeling, but I was like, okay, like they said it was nothing, like just go, you know, thankfully they're doing more testing. I was happy this time. Yeah. And when I, um, when I went back there, they did another ultrasound and immediately put me in a mammogram machine, which really set off my alarms because they denied it the first time. Yeah. And then they took me back to the ultrasound, back to the mammogram and the tech kept going in and out of the room to talk to somebody. And that's the moment in my heart. I was like, oh my God, like something's really wrong. Yeah. And I'm trying my hardest not to cry. No matter how many times I talk about it, it's still really hard. Um, So I, I'm kind of a person that just like lets things go and moves on with my day. Like I try not to dwell on things. And I was like, you know, just go back to work. Like there's nothing you can do now. Like what am I going to sit home and cry and wait for, you know, their, their phone call. Um, I got to work again (laughs) and within an hour, the physician called me and said, you need to come down to the office immediately. And at this point, my boyfriend was out of town for work and I don't, I didn't have my mom living close to me or anything like that. So I just went by myself. And when I walked into the doctor's office, she had um, a referral with the word breast cancer written at the top and highlighted. And that's how I found out that it was cancer. Um, So I, she said, I can't tell you more than this. It's definitely cancer. We don't know what stage or, or anything like that, but you need to go to the breast cancer center immediately. So I left that appointment and I called my boyfriend and I said, it's cancer. Um, I don't know what type or what we're dealing with, but they handed me a piece of paper. It said cancer. So I immediately drew, drove to the breast cancer center and the nurses were super nice and said, you know, I don't know why they scare you like this. Let's do biopsies and some scans. Like it could be nothing. Um, the next day I came back to the breast cancer center and I did eight biopsies, another mammogram. Um, 
the following day I did an MRI and the next day I did a PET scan. Um, my boyfriend had come home at that time and I was just having a ton of anxiety and I had never had anxiety like that in my life. And I was like, I can't breathe. Like I want to go to the ER. Like, I don't know if it's the cancer or like, I just, if I need something to help me get through until we know exactly what we're dealing with. So he met me at the ER and the ER doctor came in about an hour later. Cause we all know how ERs work. And, um, very casually, like it was not a big deal. He said, Oh, you can't breathe because of all the tumors in both of your lungs. Huh? And I said, my, oh, and my. I, I just started sobbing and my boyfriend was like, we didn't know that we haven't gotten any of the test results yet. And the doctor just turned around and left oh. and the nurse came in and said, okay, well, you're good to go. Um, oh. you know, your doctors will call you. And I think I know that ER doctor called it was all at the same hospital. So he had called the oncology unit and told him that he had obviously messed up. <laughs> and the, the doctor called me and said, we, we were going to call you tomorrow with the results. Have you come in? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it along with all the rest. And I said, all the rest. And he said, well, we'll dive into this tomorrow. And so I had to go home that night knowing that I had cancer in both my lungs and try to sleep. <laughs> and the next day we went into an appointment. They had told me that the cancer from my left breast had spread to both my lungs, my sternum, and a lymph node in my left armpit. And that's when I was told I had stage four breast cancer. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. It was, yeah, mm. everything was really traumatic because... I was in this pocket of someone that didn't qualify for insurance or a young adult that couldn't afford $500 a month for private insurance that I never used because you would never think that you would be in that situation. Right. And so unfortunately I was just sent to a lot of low funded facilities that are overworked, understaffed and the, the bedside manner just isn't there. Right. Right. So at this point, you you didn't have insurance, and were you still in this clinic situation, or they had moved you to a better facility? No, nope. I unfortunately still had to go through several months of horrible facilities. All of a sudden, I magically qualified for state-assisted insurance, which really blew my mind. Oh. <laughs> um, I was sent to a state assisted oncologist that gave me about two minutes of her time, had her hand on the door handle the entire time we were talking to her. Wouldn't tell me what type of chemo I was getting really what she just said, Oh, we'll talk next week. And I said, next week I start chemo. Like I'm getting my port placed the day before. Like I'm, she's like, don't worry. Like, you know, we'll talk about it. And I was like, I want to talk about it now. Right. I don't understand. And right. she left the room. Like we were, I actually had to open the door and follow her and be like, excuse me. Like, I'm not done. Yeah. And we went on a little chemo moon, like a baby moon or honeymoon. I was like, I need to go away for a weekend before this starts. And, and I actually have to tell my family, we chose to wait until we truly knew what we were dealing with. So I told my family about two weeks before I started chemo. Um, when we came back, I got my port placed. The next day I went in for my first round of chemo. And when I sat down in the chair, they played a video about chemo and side effects. And that's when it said, um, make sure to talk to your doctor about your fertility options before you start chemo as you can become sterile. 
she didn't talk to me about that. And I lost it. Yeah. At that point, I feel like everything just came to the surface and I was screaming and I told them to get the IV out of my arm, told them don't touch me. I said, I'm only 30. Like you're taking away my rights as a woman without acknowledging it. So they called the doctor and she told me she would not give me chemo until I came and talked to her. Cause I said, I never want to see you again. I can't believe you wouldn't tell me about this. Right. Um, when we went in, I was with my, my boyfriend again, had to work. So my, we're not married, but we've been together for nine years. So I call her my mother-in-law. Um, she came with me and the doctor verbatim said, you know, I'm a mom. I probably should have told you about that. And at that moment I was like, I'm not going to survive if I stay with this person. This is not the type of care that I deserve. Right. She scared me so bad that I did do adromycin, the red devil chemo. Um, knowing that I probably was going to be sterile and I cried the entire time. Um, the next day I had such a horrible migraine. I couldn't even swallow my own spit. I could barely open my eyes. My boyfriend called the doctor's office and she told me to take a Norco. And he explained that she can't even take a sip of water. Like I'm literally spitting in a cup because every time I try to swallow my own spit, I throw up. Right. And at that, finally, we just were like, nope, I can't do this. And I found another oncologist. Um, I actually switched jobs in the middle of all this so that I could have insurance, which was extremely stressful. Um, yeah. That's when I found the doctor I'm with now. She gave me a migraine medication. Within two hours, I was eating, drinking. She gave me IV fluids. And she put me on a completely different plan. She allowed me two weeks to get my eggs frozen. So I have 10 healthy eggs waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, she did six rounds of chemotherapy and I was tumor free in six months with my current oncologist. Wow. Yeah. Well, let me, let me (laughs) say, I, I'm speechless. Um, I, I don't know if you know, Felicia, I'm, I come from a clinical background, so I am a registered nurse. Um, Uh, even though I haven't worked in a clinical position in a very long time, but I just want to apologize to you for what kind of care you got. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for, let me just say that in front of the audience, regardless of your payment, you need to demand, (laughs) you know, certain things. I'm so glad you, you know, stood up for yourself and, you know, got in a different situation, even though I can't imagine how hard that was, um, just emotionally and psychologically, um, to get, to get to a better situation. So so relieving to have someone that, you know, cared and sat with me for a whole hour and answered every question. And to this day, I know for a fact that that woman saved my life. And had I stayed with the other oncologist, I would not be here today Yeah, by any means. And I'm just, it's taught me so much about, you know, I never knew that you could fire a doctor. I didn't yeah. know that until I was like, I can't, I will not survive this. And my wow. boyfriend agreed. He was like, no, we have to find somebody else. Yeah. And so everything that I advocate is not just for cancer patients, but people in general, if you're not getting the care that you feel is right for you, you have a right to fire a doctor and find somebody else. 
Absolutely. And that has been so life-changing for myself in this situation many times. Mm-hmm. When it mm-hmm. comes to women's health in general, we are not treated the way that we deserve. Right. And I will not sit there ever again and be treated the way that that first oncologist treated me because mm-hmm. I'm a human and we all deserve proper care, especially as women. We are such complex beings and we deserve to be listened and taken care of properly. And it's changed my friends' lives, my family lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm my friend had an issue and she was treated horribly. And she's like, I remember you telling me that you changed and I changed doctors and it changed my life. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy. The things that you unfortunately have to learn when you're in my situation, rather than learning this as a basic human right in school or just as educational in in general, I feel like we need to teach people what proper care is and that you have a right to demand it. Absolutely. I mean, I just can't even Coming from the background that I come from, I I think it makes you, um, sometimes I say, perhaps we know too much, uh, but I I actually was having this conversation last night in the kitchen, you know, (laughs) the importance of, you know, not going somewhere just because someone sends you, but that you have a right to really decide these things for yourself. Mm -hmm. We didn't know about like the doctor scale website where you can put your doctor's name in there and see what the ratings are. And then like, we had no idea. And the first oncologist was a two. Had I seen that before, I never would have stepped foot in that office. My current oncologist is an 11. Wow. You know, and I was like, I didn't know there was a website. Like I had, until I got cancer, I didn't know. And I worked in a medical facility. Like, these are just not things that are put out there in the public for people to know that they have the power to research doctors and offices and nurses and and nurse practitioners and really find the person that works for you. Absolutely. So, so when you were, you're five years about from there, from that initial, um, and you're in remission. I am. I just celebrated three years cancer free. That's great news really great news um massive accomplishment i'm so thankful it is yeah oh um you know you have to be it makes life all the more precious as you walk through these things so how how about your friend group how have have they been supported of you since the diagnosis and your family have you struggled with any relationships like that oh yeah we learned very quickly um who is truly in your circle and who is not um Mm -hmm. I've never my boyfriend and I have never had that mindset of judging somebody for doing their or like how am I trying to word this for going about the journey the way they they want to I've never looked at somebody with cancer and judged them or any disability or disease or anything and judge them on the way that they wanted to live their life, whether it was disregard medical care and go travel because that's what you want to do or, you know, start a GoFundMe. I've donated to GoFundMes before diagnosis, during diagnosis, and still today. If that person needs help to live a comfortable life and, and get the care that they need, what's $5 out of my wallet? a hundred dollars out of my paycheck to help that human. Right. Whereas we had several friends that 
were very vocal that they don't agree with the GoFundMe that I didn't even start myself. It was started by a friend that told me, you need help. You, this is going to be bad and you need help. And we were told, well, why aren't you selling everything you own and moving in with your family to do this? Why are you begging for money on the internet? Oh my word. And right then and there, I was like, goodbye. I didn't say a word to them. I just deleted everything, blocked them, sent back anything that they had ever given me or thrown it away. And so did my boyfriend. He was like, that's ridiculous. Like, it's not like I asked for cancer. It's not like I'm, you know, doing something to deserve it. Why should we sell everything we own and, and completely destroy our lives when there's people that want to help? Right. You know, I don't ever donate having any sort of, you know, judgment or obligation of what I think they should do with it. If you, if you want to take all the money and go travel the world, not pay off your medical debt or do anything, that's your decision. If that's what makes you happy, would I do it that way? Probably not, but that's okay. And very quickly we learned that a lot of people had a lot of judgment on how we were doing things. And they didn't like that. I went on a chemo moon and had cocktails before I started chemo. They didn't like that. I did a party to shave my head. They didn't like that. I was verbatim one of the text messages from someone I thought was a very close friend said you're not posting the bad stuff enough (laughs) and I was like why do you want to see me cry on the internet and and tell you guys about how I can't swallow my own spit and how I can't I cry every night and now I'm on 17 different medications and I'm scared did that then I would be a negative person and I'm not being hopeful enough yeah So very quickly, we learned that, you know, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And if they don't like it, then they're not there. Right. But on the hindsight of that, we also found people that we didn't know were going to be some of the most massive pillars of support that were good friends, but not super close friends that really stepped up Mm -hmm. and just kept me going and kept us going, kept supporting us, kept telling me, do whatever you need to do. You want to do it that way? I'm here for you. What do you need? But my family, on the other hand, I come, we both come from such massive, loving, incredible human beings that never, ever left our sides. And the moment I needed any of them, the moment I needed anything, my mom drove up from San Diego where she was living at the time several times a month, anytime I needed her. My mother-in-law and my my in-laws came from Arizona the moment I needed them. My Utah family, um, I had a couple of uh, benefits, and they all surprised me by flying in from Utah to be a part of them. So I come from, and we come from, the most supportive family ever, and I just know that, like, I couldn't do it without every single one of them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the, you know, the good lessons that you are reminded of when you walk through this. Truly. So, so Felicia, how's your life today? Uh, are you still modeling? Are you, um, how, how has life changed in your position just with home and work? Um, I definitely have worked nearly the entire time. Um, the pandemic definitely put me into, you know, having to go on government assisted, um, income because being at that time when the pandemic started, I was still bald. I was freshly out of chemo. So I was very immune compromised. Um, 
So that was the first time I experienced not working during my diagnosis. Um, but I, I started a small side business making candles because with a, with a terminal stage cancer, I still was getting maybe a third of what I actually needed just to pay bills, let alone have any extra for anything. Um, I, I did model throughout when the pandemic allowed it, um, which was really, it was really hard because your mental, as you know, your mental and physical being completely changes in every single aspect when you're diagnosed and you go through this trauma and you go through chemo and surgeries. There is not a piece of you that is is the way that it was beforehand. Yeah. And mentally, it really got to me. I felt, well, are they just hiring me for this job for the pity because they feel bad? Or do they really want me to be a part of this? Yeah. You know, I asked my boyfriend several times, do you want to leave me? Do you want to go find someone that doesn't have cancer? That's not sick because stage four, I'm going to be sick forever. And this is not your burden to bear. Yeah. And it just really, I don't think people understand that it completely destroys you as a human being to the very core of yourself and to rebuild yourself, especially during a pandemic. And as someone that, you know, my looks made me money, which was really nice. And to have my hair fall out and my scars on my body and, you know, everything change, it was really, really mentally tough. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm in my fifth year of fighting, just just about to my fifth year of fighting, and I'm still trying to figure my new self out. I'm still trying to deal with the side effects and the long-term PTSD and the trauma. And right now, I feel like it's never ending that I'm always finding new, new things that are, you know, triggering to me where in the beginning, it was someone talking about somebody passing from cancer would literally put me into a panic attack because I was so petrified of dying. Yeah. And now that I've worked my way through that, where I'm like, okay, it's okay. Like you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. Everyone's journey is different. Now what I'm finding my triggers are is I get to do amazing opportunities to save other people's life. But then I go home and I'm, I'm still living a nightmare. Yeah. And no one saved me. And that's really hard. Right. So I feel like life is going really well. And, you know, we're saving for a home and, and talking about babies and I'm working full time and, you know, really building a career for myself. But it's just 10 times harder because I'm still on medications. I'm still on a form of chemo. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, still trying to figure out my new self that's ever changing. And I'm internally grateful for my life. I'm so positive about everything. I just want to help everybody, but it is definitely one of the biggest challenges I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. Well, you have to make sure Felicia that you know, it's an old book is, you know, but it's about, filling your own cup because if you're empty then you can't help other people you have to have time to let yourself you know be helped and be supported and be you know taken care of um that's that's a big thing and a and a hard thing too because you seem to be wanting to help people all the time but you just have to keep that in mind that, you know, other people need to help you too and just refill and regenerate yourself. 
Absolutely. And that's definitely a lesson that I learned too, is you have to make space for yourself. And (laughs) if others deem it as selfish or you feel that it's selfish, you have to start teaching your mind that it is necessary. And I definitely have learned the hardest lessons of pushing myself to the limits and then being completely depleted in every aspect of my being. And I think that comes with a lot of survivors and fighters is you, you have FOMO, you want to do everything. You know, there was a time that you didn't know if you were ever going to be able to do anything. Right. And I, I still learn hard lessons because I push, push, push. (laughs) I want to do this. I want to say, yes, I want to do every media. I want to do every event with my family, every event with my friends. Yeah. But the only person paying the price is myself. Exactly. You know, and and that's, it's been a hard lesson to learn how to slow down. And, and, and it's also been a really hard lesson for my friends and family because Mm -hmm. they're so excited that I I'm surviving and I'm, you know, doing all these great things, which I'm so grateful to be in this position because a lot of women and and men and with breast cancer and any cancer don't get those options, but I have to remind them like, Hey, you got to slow down. Like I need to take a break. I'm tired. I have to admit that I'm tired, which is really hard for me. Right. Right. But so important for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Felicia, I always like to end with, like, what are you listening to or learning from or reading? Uh, what what would you suggest to our audience about either podcasts or books or websites that would help or support them? Um, so for my mental health, when I first was diagnosed, I I definitely went into like every Facebook group and, you know, I was like, I got to be a part of all of it. And that was really hard on my mental health because I don't know if you've noticed, but not everyone has a positive outlook. (laughs) Let me, let me just say, Oh gosh, you have a story. I told my clinic that I don't know about this Facebook group because they, I mean, every horrible Thing that could possibly happen to a person it seems to be in living color there yes <laughs> I was like I was not trying to bash them too hard but it was some of the most horrific things I've ever read oh, some no. of the most negative comments yeah and I was like oh my god I cannot I have to protect my mental space I have no room for anything <laughs> else than survivorship and positivity and Absolutely. You know, it's like, cause I want to support my fellow sisters, my fellow brothers with this disease, but there's, you have to protect yourself first. So I feel like I don't like, honestly, I've never Googled my, my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I, if you ask me if I'm H E R positive, H R positive or any, I couldn't tell you. I hundred percent believe in letting my doctor whom I now trust fully with my life worry about that. I do what she says. And I concentrate on things that make me happy. Yeah. I don't dwell on my my diagnosis. I don't dwell on statistics because they're wrong. If I would have listened to that, I would have died years ago. Yeah. I <clears throat> I tell everybody, just concentrate on what makes you happy and do what you can in between. Yeah. If you can't handle the groups, that's okay. If you don't want to tell anybody about your diagnosis, that's okay. Yeah. If you want to be a loud mouth like me and scream it from the rooftops, that's okay <laughs> too. <laughs> you know, but... I, yeah, And it's hard because Halloween is my most favorite time of the year since I was born. Mm-hmm. And I was like, of course, I'd get the cancer that's pink. I wear nothing pink. I ride Harleys and <laughs> listen to metal music. And, you know, I'm not a girly girl. Yeah. 
of course I get the cancer that has the pink ribbon, which I don't like. And it ruins my October, which is my spooky season. (laughs) So I definitely have learned over the years that it's okay not to participate in breast cancer awareness month. If you don't want to, Yeah, it's okay. I don't have to wear pink. That does not mean that I don't support myself and others. Right. I have found a unique way to be a part of the community while upholding my mental health, which is number one. And if you find strength in something, dive into it. If something's not working for you, that's okay. Yeah. You know, it took me years to find women that supported me in the way that I needed to be supported. Yeah. And I've had to tell other women, I I love you. I wish you the best, but I have to disconnect from you because the way that you're going about your journey is something that does not help my mental health. Yeah. And I can't be there for you the way that you need me to. Yeah. You need to find someone that can be there for you the way that you need to. Yeah. And, and that's been really important. Maybe you, you so. could say that orange is the new pink. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that it, it's, uh, as my daughter-in-law sa- says, October is the month of pumpkins. So yeah. it, uh, it can come all, all shapes and forms. Exactly. I still still do all media. I still post like crazy, but in my free time, I'm not, I, I, I don't go to events. Um, and, and that's just me. My mental health can't handle it. Yeah. I'm going to be at Knott's Berry farm in Disneyland and in a haunted house and do the things that, that truly make me happy. Yeah. And you know, I just wake up every day, super grateful that I'm here. Am right. I frustrated and tired and over it a hundred percent? Yeah. But I just know that I wake up and I love making a cup of coffee and I look forward to every event and I just constantly look at the future. What's the next thing I can look forward to? Whose birthday is coming up? Well, the holidays are coming. I am so blessed that I now have two nieces that I was petrified I'd never get to meet. And now I get to watch them grow. And I feel like for every person that I talk to you, I'm like, what is most important is you find the balance in your life between being a cancer patient and still being a person Yeah. because it doesn't have to observe everything that you are. Right. And I think that's been the most positive and best thing that I have finally reached a point in my life in my diagnosis that I really find a true balance of happiness, supporting my mission and supporting myself. Yeah. Well, Felicia, it's, you know, your words of wisdom, uh, I know, are going to help lots of women and lots of people cope. I know you already have been doing that in so many ways. And I I just thank you so much. If people want to follow you or contact you in some way, uh, how would they do that? The best way... um to support me is absolutely to follow me and share my story with your friends and family. Um, my Instagram name is my first name, which is P H I L E C I A. My TikTok is my full name, which is Felicia Labounty. Um, I'm very raw and real and emotional on my platforms. And I try to show the good with along the hard mm-hmm. and in my hopes that others don't feel alone or, They can, I have a lot of messages um, saying, thank you so much. You said everything that I couldn't say and I sent it to my family so they can understand what I'm dealing with without me having to break down to show them. And if I can be that person for anybody, it it just really makes my mission to help 
friends, family, supporters, fighters, and survivors that much more important that I can do that. Yes. I, I, I appreciate what you have to say and just your willingness to share that with other people. Let me, I can't say that enough for you. And I, I certainly wish you the best and you. You know, to just have a joyful journey and in whatever you choose to do in life. So um, know that I'm, I'm just a text or email away if you ever need me. And with that, we'll end the program. And I, I just thank you so much for being on here, Felicia. Thank you so much for giving a platform for us to speak on and just another way for us to reach more people and, and grow our community stronger and show the reality of, of those living with breast cancer that, you know, there's many of us that are suffering from a silent illness and this is just giving us a platform to, to speak on it. And I just really appreciate you guys. The all the effort and time and everything you put into this is just massively appreciated. Okay. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day in sunny California. <laughs> Thank okay. you, you too. And, and well wishes to your daughter. I hope she gets okay. to oh, me not too. too traumatized. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Uh, you too. Bye-bye.